Well, good evening, everyone. It is wonderful to be here with you tonight. My name's Amy. If I haven't met you before, or maybe you're new here tonight, a big welcome to you. We're glad you could gather here with us. Um, I'm the church life pastor at this campus, our Barrable campus, and it's exciting to be able to share with you tonight. Now, young adults, I have to let you in on a secret if you didn't already know this. You know why Robbie is so excited about young adults camps, why, he, why he's so passionate about young adults camps. Do you know why? Community would be a good answer, and I think it is that. Well done. But it's actually because that's where he met his wife, Jess, his lovely, gorgeous wife, Jess. So, you know, he's got great memories. We can, I can still remember him and Jess having those beautiful moments together at Young Adults Camp. It's a good time. All right, that's not what I'm talking about tonight, though. Okay, I am here to talk to you about something that actually I really believe God is speaking to our church about at the moment. In fact, I told our congregation this morning at church that the last couple of times I've heard Matt, our senior pastor, speak the last sort of two weeks or four weeks, um, I've actually felt like I needed to rebuke him and say, what are you talking about that? That's what I'm going to talk about. And uh, then God gently reminds me that uh, Matt is the senior pastor and was the teaching pastor and that God can speak to more than one person. So it's exciting. We're not, we're not in the middle of a sermon series, but really we could be because there's some similar themes that I want to draw out today. Some of these themes are pride and judging others and moral superiority. And today I really want to look at the issue and the topic of shame. And there's a story in the Bible in John 8, and I'd love you if you've got your Bibles here or up on your phone to get that out. We, we will look at the text on the screen, but we're going to dive straight into a story that is quite an amazing story. And you probably have potentially heard parts or, or bits of this story before. It is quite a well-known story. So reading from John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. This is Jesus, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is an incredible story for lots and lots of reasons. And I love that when we look at text in the Bible, that these are things that happened, that we can be assured that this is, this is the God that we know and that we love and that we're coming to know more and more each day. And I just wanna draw out a few things before we get really stuck into this. I really wanna talk about a few of the groups of people that were around this woman. We'll 
First of all, we've heard of the Pharisees and the teachers of law. And perhaps if you're new to reading the Bible or new even to church tonight, you might be thinking, oh, the Pharisees, they were the religious sort of leaders, the gurus of the time, and they were. However, they were actually known not so much for loving people, but they were actually known for their hypocrisy, their moral superiority, for being obsessed with the law, so much so that they couldn't actually see people. And they actually couldn't stand Jesus. There was something about this guy. He was a radical teacher and he was teaching really different things to what they were used to in in what they understood to be the law. And so they are really, as the text says, trying to trap Jesus. And they think they're on a winner here because actually the law of Moses at the time was, and it says in Leviticus, we can read this on the screen, 2010, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbour, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. This is also in Deuteronomy 22.22. So the Pharisees felt that they had Jesus cornered because they knew this was the law of Moses. Now they're actually cutting corners because the man is also meant to be dragged out. He was meant to be there too. Perhaps they could not get him in time, but they were there with this woman and they thought Jesus will have to go against the law if he saves her. If he says, no, don't stop and don't stone this woman, don't kill her, then he would be going against the law of Moses. But if he did say, yes, stone her, he was also going to get into trouble with the Romans because at that time, Jews were not allowed to enforce capital punishment. So really, they felt they had him cornered. We'll keep looking at that in a minute because we know that Jesus had an awesome way out of this situation. Now, we don't know much about the woman. We don't know what her life was up until this point. We don't know what things had happened in her life, why she was living in sin and having an affair. We don't know what, what was causing her to be in this situation. But what we do know is that she would have been absolutely petrified in that moment not to mention completely humiliated in public, dragged out, caught in the act. Did she even have time to grab a bed sheet or something to cover herself before she's thrown in front of a crowd of people in the temple courts? She would never have thought that this is how this story would end. She would know in that moment that she was going to die and die a brutal death. This was, you know, sometimes I think we think of stoning potentially as a little bit, um, I mean, any way to die is obviously awful, but, you know, with little pebbles and things like that. But really, I'm not going to go into it because I know there's children in the room tonight. But if, if you understand what stoning actually is, it is one of the most brutal ways to die and horrific, let alone humiliating. And then we've got Jesus in this story. And he does some really interesting things. Firstly, he keeps bending down and riding in the ground. Now, I am going to ask Jesus when I see him face to face, what did you write in the ground with that woman? Because no one knows, it doesn't say in the text, and lots of things have been speculated. But when we see Jesus face to face, that will be one of the questions I ask him. Maybe he was writing in the ground purely for the reason to, to be able to get, have a reason to get down lower. But what he was doing was he was actually showing humility. And this was so not a cultural practice of the time for a man to bend down lower than a woman, not, not only once, but he does it twice. So this was really, really interesting. He's also really slow to react. 
He doesn't throw his hands up in the air and take charge of the situation. He's just patient and slow. He's allowing, I believe he's allowing his heavenly father to speak to him and to give him wisdom in that moment. What's really fascinating is that we see the Pharisees, we see the onlookers or the crowd, and we see Jesus, and they all react and have different responses to this woman. Now, we know that the Pharisees, as I've said, they were full of judgment, not only for the woman, but also for Jesus. And as I said earlier, Matt has been talking about judgment and how we shouldn't be judging others the last couple of weeks. If we're doing that, we're seeing ourselves as morally superior And ultimately, we're trying to play God. The crowd and the onlookers, I would imagine, were full of pride. They probably knew this woman. They all used to live in quite close quarters. And so maybe they knew that she had been acting in this way. And potentially, they were happy about it, that she'd been finally called out. You can imagine them standing there. Maybe they might have been hurling insults. They might have had their rocks, their stones ready. And you know what? They were probably making up lots and lots of reasons to justify their pride in that situation. You know, I would never do that. I mean, seriously, this woman's choices are so bad and I've never done anything like this. You know, we can be so often drawn to the downfall of others. It's actually what our society is set up on. We call it poppy, tall poppy syndrome. We can often be excited when we hear of misfortunes or scandals or someone's latest failures. You know, even in the church, we get really obsessed with, you know, different Christian leaders that have fallen and things like this. We actually can get really involved in this and it's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to live in this prideful way because what we do is we actually are putting shame further on others. And I can tell you that someone else's failures does not make you or me any more righteous. All that we achieve, as I said, is to place judgment and layer that with shame. Again, we see Jesus who responds differently. He responds with divine wisdom, which leads to mercy and compassion. Firstly, he gets everyone there to look at themselves and assess Do they have sin in their life? And surprise, surprise, not one person stays. I find it really interesting that it says the older uh, people left first. It makes me wonder as we walk through life longer, do we actually start to realise that we are not at all perfect and that we so, so much more need God? The woman, I would imagine by this stage, once everyone has left and it's just her and Jesus, would be just a mess she would be sobbing from what she's just been through, but, but the fact that this mercy and compassion has been so great. And when she's faced with Jesus, what does he say? He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This story represents Jesus' new covenant with us. When once we were bound by the law, we are now freed by a person. And I love what John 1, 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you know, before we were singing that song for God so loved and, and it includes, and I never told the worship team that I was using this scripture, but John three sixteen, probably the most famous scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the next verse is so interesting. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You know, I wonder how many people that we know in our friendships, in our families, feel that they maybe can't have a relationship with God or step into church because God's ready to condemn them. It's such a lie. It is such a lie. And I'm always challenged as to how can I show that to people around me that don't know Jesus, that He's not here for condemnation. He is here to save us and to love us. The encouragement in this story, I believe, is that when we encounter Jesus, we do not need to carry shame. And I say carry because it's heavy, it's burdensome, it's exhausting. Carrying shame has a cost on us. You know, it can be very complex shame too. It's not just packaged one way. There isn't just one way that we can experience it or one reason that we experience shame. Some of you may be aware of the, she's very famous now, I think she's even a doctor, Dr. Brene Brown. Who's heard of Dr. Brene Brown? She's been studying shame and guilt and um, vulnerability and a whole bunch of things. She's a social worker for about two decades now. And she says, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. You know, shame can often be felt like this uh, woman would have felt it because we've, we've mucked up, we've sinned, we call it. And we have this guilt and then we don't deal with that guilt and it turns into shame. And you know what? Guilt is actually an emotion that can help us to, you know, we call it in church, we often say we, we feel convicted. That can be guilt that actually drives us to change our behaviour. But shame is when we choose to ignore the guilt And it grows and festers into this ugly thing called shame. It paralyzes us and and the enemy has a lot of fun with it as well. You know, shame isn't always because of something you've done or even because you don't think you're good enough. Shame can, can often be in people's lives because of other people that have done things or said things to them. And you know, I, I often find God will show me things in really strange moments. And probably a couple of weeks back now, I was watching the movie, The Lion King with one of my sons, Lewis. And who's seen The Lion King? This is like a classic movie. I think probably most people. This is, the movie's almost 30 years old now. And I was 10 when it came out. So that just shows you how old I'm getting. Um, but this movie is about a family of lions and there's a king um, lion. He's the king of the pride, Mufasa. Probably saying his name wrong, but I'll go with it anyway. Um, and he has a, a really evil brother, Scar. And Mufasa has a son, Simba. And Scar wants to be king. So he wants to get rid of Mufasa. He wants to get rid of Simba. And so he, he sets up a trap, a little bit like someone else we've read about, some people we've read about. He sets up a trap which actually kills Mufasa, but he makes it look like to Simba it was his fault. And then he tells him, this is your fault. You should run and you should hide. And as I watched this movie, I thought so often people in our world are feeling shame because actually someone else has told them a lie or someone else has done or said something to them that has made them believe it. And and they are dealing with this heavy shame. 
You know, that voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough, you're not valuable, you're not worthy, you can't do it. That voice is the voice of shame. Some of you might have even felt shame walking into this building tonight. One way we identify shame is to ask yourself, is there anything in your life, in your thoughts perhaps, that you would never want someone else to know because you feel they'd be horrified or shocked? Shame is often that condemning voice. You know, if we harbour shame in our lives, we can, we actually, it causes so many negative effects. I could stand here all night and give you a list. But two main things that I believe are the, are the worst of these is that it stops us from, from understanding who God created us to be. And secondly, it makes us want to be distant from God, to hide from God. And you know, if we think back to our Lion King analogy, because of shame, Simba couldn't be the king he was supposed to be. Instead, he ran off, he hid, and he was in the jungle dancing and singing with a warthog and a meerkat, which I love Pumbrand to moan, so nothing against them. But that was not who he was meant to be. He was meant to be the king. You know, if we look in the Bible at where shame first appears, we see it in actually Genesis chapter two, Genesis being the first book in the Bible, and shame is introduced with Adam and Eve at the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 2.25, we first read the word shame where it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And most of us will probably know what happens next. We have the serpent who deceives Eve and says, no, you should eat the fruit from the tree. So Eve has a bite and then she offers it to Adam, her husband, and he has a bite. And then instantly they have experienced sin. They've disobeyed God, his direct orders, and and instantly they feel shame. And it says in Genesis 3.10, this is after this moment, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know, they were naked before they disobeyed God and they were naked after, but all of a sudden they felt shame in their nakedness because they had disobeyed God and they'd been deceived by this serpent and shame was present. I wonder if any of you here tonight can relate to this, feeling afraid of God because of your shame, knowing that you're actually not being the person God created you to be and feeling that you need to hide from God. You know, I can remember this feeling when I was about 18, 19 years old. I'd been brought up in in a Christian home and when I was 11 years old, I remember making a commitment to follow Jesus. I remember writing it in the back of my kid's Bible and saying I'd accepted Jesus. I'll just have a quick drink, sorry. And at 14, I was baptised. And then really, the years from 14 to 18, I just honestly was distracted. Distracted by the glittery lights of the world. And I never, ever stopped believing in God, but started to live more and more away from what He wanted for me. I wasn't living in His purposes. And I started to feel this sense of shame. And when I was about 18, 
Uh, actually, I think I just turned 19. I recommitted my life to Jesus. I thought, right, we're gonna do this. And I was so happy. But you know what? In those months after I recommitted, I was still really struggling with sin. I was making all sorts of bad choices. And in that moment, I thought, you know what? I can't do this. I just have to throw it in. I've got to get myself good and perfect before I can come to God. And you know what? I prayed in that moment and I just asked God for help. And I felt God gave me this sense to just cling on to him, on to Jesus, and actually cling on to his robe. And I think at the time, I just thought, oh, I've pictured Jesus somewhere in Sunday school wearing a robe. I didn't think much about it. It's only been in my years later on that I've realised that robe is his robe of righteousness. I just love what it says in Isaiah 61.10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. You know, on your wedding day, and I'm so excited to hear about Grace and Eli, on your wedding day, it's the time where you feel the most beautiful, the most special. You know, it's like God's saying to us through these scriptures that he, we are worthy. He, can, he puts this robe on us and we are, to, we are able to feel the most special. You know what? I didn't deserve the robe. I still don't. And we all don't deserve this robe. The adulterous woman didn't deserve this robe. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we now get to be covered by this robe of righteousness and we can throw off the heavy weight of shame. King David in Psalm 63, five says, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. You know, for Simba to be freed from his shame, I'm back in the Lion King, you can tell I really loved it. Um, he has this vision of his dad, Mufasa. So Mufasa's died and he has this vision of Mufasa and he says to him, this is Mufasa talking to his son Simba, he says, you have forgotten who you are and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. And Simba says back to his dad, he says, how can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. I wonder how many of us tonight feel like they need to keep God at a distance. I'm not worthy, Lord. I'm not who I used to be. Maybe once I was, you know, a good Christian, but now I'm not worthy. And then Mephasa says these really significant words to him. He says, remember who you are. You are my son. And today, some of you need to hear that that your heavenly father is saying to you, remember who you are. You are my son, you are my daughter. You know, the Bible says amazing things about who we are. Once we have um, accepted Jesus and we're in right relationship with Jesus, God tells us all sorts of amazing things, that we're accepted, that we're not condemned, that we're redeemed, that we are his children, that we don't have to live with a spirit of fear. Instead, we have power and a sound mind. All these amazing things where God's co-workers, we're co-workers with Christ. He says these things over you. And you know what? If you are struggling with shame at the moment, I really, really encourage you to get stuck into this and to find those scriptures and actually understand who you are as a child of God, who he's created you to be. If we look back at the adulterous woman, Jesus does not condemn the woman, but he does tell her to repent. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. 
And ironically, I think so often we can be too proud to repent, too proud to surrender our mess to God because we feel like then we're admitting that we were wrong or that we've mucked up and then we'll feel shame. Again, that is a lie. The moment that you surrender and repent, as the Bible says, in Acts 3.19, it says, repent then and turn to God so that all your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we repent, we actually start to walk and live in freedom, freedom that we're not bound by sin and carrying heavy shame. Tonight, I wonder if some of you are needing that refreshment from the Lord. I really encourage you to think about how Jesus responds to you in your shame. Do you feel condemned by him? Because as we've read, he did not come to condemn. He came to save. And I hope tonight you can feel his deep love and mercy, which is just available to you. And I'll invite the music team to come up. You know, maybe like the adulterous woman, tonight you feel like you are facing a type of death. She was literally facing death but maybe within yourself, you feel like you are facing a spiritual death. You've been completely overwhelmed by shame. It's keeping you from God and keeping you from who you are in God. And I believe God wants to deal with that in us tonight. Jesus is saying the same thing to you as he's saying to the woman. He's saying, then neither do I condemn you Go and leave your life of sin. And I just want to finish and read from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know, scorning means to reject to refuse and I believe God wants to remind us tonight that when He went to the cross He refused for you to live He rejected for you to have to live with shame in your life you know I'm also aware today that some of you might be here and and for whatever reason in your life you've had people that have actually spoken things over you and said things to you that just keep playing in your mind maybe you're a, a young child And there's things that have been spoken over you that are not from God and that are keeping you in shame. And so I want everyone to close their eyes right now. And I know it's quite dark in here. I really wanna pray for those people that feel that they are bound by shame, that have had these words spoken over them. And I wanna pray that God can lift that from you tonight. So with every eye closed, if that's you, can you place your hand nice and high so I can see? Great. Awesome. Excellent. All right, let's pray. And I'm gonna, And if, if this is you and you didn't put your hand up, that's okay. God knows your heart. I'm gonna pray over you now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of love, a God of compassion, of mercy, of grace. You are such a good Father. 
And Lord, I wanna pray for each person in this room tonight that raised their hands or even if they did that in their hearts, Lord God, because they feel they have been bound by shame. Holy Spirit, we just ask that You would lift this off them, that we would understand that we don't need to carry this any longer. We thank You, Lord, that You sent Your Son to die for us so that we did not have to be bound by shame. And I just pray that as they walk out of this building tonight, they would walk in a new freedom, knowing that You died and took their shame with You and You rose again to walk in this life with us, Lord God. We thank You so much. I pray for anyone here that has had words that have been spoken over them that are not from You. I just pray right now that they would be gone. And I pray that each time they try and resurface or try and you know, attack the person in their hearts or in their minds, that You would extinguish those flaming arrows that they can feel like, that they would not be able to get into their minds, that they would be gone in Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. We pray for all these things in Your mighty Name, Jesus. Amen. And you know what? It would be remiss of me not to ask if I've spoken this whole time about this awesome Saviour, Jesus, but I haven't actually checked if maybe you tonight don't know Him and want to, like I did when I was 11, like I did again when I recommitted at 18. If you wanna know Jesus tonight, if you've not made that decision before, I just ask again, we'll get everyone just to shut their eyes. We just wanna create privacy here. This is not a spectacle. This is about God's children being able to come home. So if that's you tonight, can you raise your hand really high? Because I would love to pray with you. All right, we'll just wait one moment longer. Struggling to see here. That's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to put that prayer on the screen and I'm going to pray that. And if that was you tonight, if you feel that you wanted to pray that prayer, then we're going to do that. And we're church, let's do this together. Let's stand up and pray this together. My God and my Heavenly Father, thank You for what You did in Jesus Christ to save me. Forgive me for all I have done wrong. I commit myself to You and to Your purpose. Fill my heart with Your Holy Spirit and help me live for You from now on. Amen. Now, if that is something that you wanted to talk more about tonight, I encourage you, come and have a chat with me after the service. It was awesome this morning. I had a guy run towards me and he said, can I have a Bible? And he'd accepted Jesus for the first time. So church, let's not leave without doing some of these important things as well as we sing with our worship team. I encourage you just to have a moment with God and and check your heart. Lord, have I got any shame that I need to hand over to you? Because His arms are big. He is ready to accept that.